Welcome once again to Benchworld, a podcast designed to provide you with knowledge, experiences, tools, and ideas about venture capital, entrepreneurship, and finance. Interviews and conversations with top-notch global experts will take place every week, hosted by me, Hector Shibata, Director of Investments and Portfolio at AC Ventures, a global corporate venture capital fund an Associate Professor for Entrepreneurial Finance and Venture Capital. Don't forget to follow us for more content on Medium, LinkedIn and Twitter as ACB underscore BC. With no more to say, hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to ACB Webinars. Today, we'll talk about cooking the future, a discussion on dark, cloud, ghost, and virtual kitchens. We thank our speakers, Sami Behani from Kitopi, John Miller from the Cali Group, and Michael Nicholas from Valor. Sami is the CFO of Kitopi. Since 2010, he has been partner at McKinsey in the Middle East. Prior to that, He was project manager at Jacobs Engineering. He holds an MBA from INSEAD, a master's degree in engineering from the University of Southern California, and a BS in engineering from the American University in Beirut. Thank you, Sammy. John Miller is the chairman and CEO of Cali Group. Prior to founding Cali Group in 2011, he was the second employee at Arrowhead, where he was responsible for the formation, growth, and sale of Arrowhead's electronic business unit. He is an author of the Handbook of Nanotechnology Business, Policy, and Intellectual Property Law, as well as various other publications related to nanomaterials and nanoscale electronics. Thank you, John. And then Michael Miklas. Michael, he's a partner at Valor, and he has been involved with internet startups for the last 15 years as entrepreneur, executive, and investor. He has launched two startups, the Gryphon Group and Thirst, in New York City Silicon's Alley, and he has been active as both an angel and busy investor in LATAM. He speaks frequently at events in the United States and Latin America, including the MIT BC Conference, and the U.S.-Brazil Innovation Summit, and has appeared in Time, VentureBeat, and the next web. Thank you, Michael. The next question will be for you, Michael. How do you see a merge between all these kitchen aggregators or the delivery platforms, such as Uber Eats, DoorDash, or Rappi, and the ghost kitchens? Do you think they will keep separate or they will merge eventually? It's a good question. I think the tendency is for, for vertical consolidation. I mean, people like to control their destinies and by being able to own each of the, the, the components of, of these businesses, you know, you have you definitely have more control. I guess when, when I think about it, I think of it sort of in, in three parts. There's, you know, demand generation, which is really what the aggregators do right now. And I would say that they really have sort of the um, upper hand, you know, so they're able to bring the The, the, the attention, you know, bring attention to the markets, to the restaurants, to the brands, and they take a hefty slice of that. So they're basically just demand generators and then coordinating with, with, with the logistics, making sure the logistics work. Um, the middle part of this is the whole, the whole food prep, the whole food tech, the food process. 
So you have demand generation, you have the, the, the actual kitchen component, and then you have the, the delivery logistics. And what we're seeing is that each of the players is experimenting, you know, starting with the aggregators, um, you know, like Rappi or iFood here in Brazil or, or Uber Eats. Um, they're, they're trying to own each of, each of these components and see if they can bring, um, you know, more efficiency to, to that process. I guess the question is, you know, can they do each of those things more, more efficiently? And I think each of them, we're going to be seeing new business models emerging, whether it's around delivery and last mile and, um, and you know, the efficiencies of actually getting it to the door, the magic timeframes like 20, 25 minutes to making a significant difference in terms of, of demand and demand generation. Um, but I think the area that's probably sort of open for disruption right now is really the, the initial step, which is, you know, what the aggregators have right now, if you think of like Rappi or these super apps, they take advantage that they already have eyeballs in those platforms. And so there's not a huge cost of acquisition to bring a user into the, into the menu system where they, where they find and discover, you know, the, the restaurant brands. But the cost of that is so high, typically 15 to 30%, that I believe over time we're seeing other players coming in that are specializing on, on demand aggregation. So for instance, uh, ERPs for restaurants, that you know charge a flat SaaS fee, not a percentage of you know the, each each order, and uh, we think there's going to be some potential disruption in that space. So, just big picture, the tendency is for for vertical integration, but there's so much innovation happening at each of those three stages that I think it's going to be difficult to completely control it in in one place. You know that's 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 very true what you are saying, Michael. And obviously, technology is it's a very fundamental part of the equation. I mean, uh, but first of all, you need to have the physical space in order to have that contains the cooking station, the personnel preparing the food. So what would be the difference in terms of risk-reward terms between the prop kitchens, meaning those companies that do have the real estate vis-a-vis -vis the dark kitchens, those companies that obviously do produce the food by itself. And also, how do you characterize the business in terms of the investments that you have done uh, in terms of, you know, the real estate play, the technology business? What, what would you look at? Maybe, maybe we can start with John uh, first and then move on with Michael. Yeah, so we, uh, okay, so we don't cook food, right? Uh, Kitchen United just provides real estate and technology infrastructure, and I'd say, um, the technology is as important as the real estate. So, um, you know, the integrations with all the different operators that come into a kitchen with their POS systems and their KDS screens and um, uh, organizing the transfer of the food in an efficient way from the kitchens out to the drivers. So in a lot of our facilities, we have conveyor belt systems like you'd see at an airport where the packages of food go on the conveyor belt and they're automatically transferred right out to the street for the drivers to pick up. Um, the, uh, the kiosk systems uh, and the web ordering and the mobile ordering and all the different channels that people can use to order uh, foods from different concepts at one facility that are all delivered at one time by one driver. So, uh, so I, I do think uh, the, the technology for us is as important as the real estate. And that's a, a big piece of making these virtual kitchens work well is all the uh, different software integrations. And of course, Cali Group, my holding company, we've also made a huge investment in kitchen automation, right? So we see uh, in the future um, using AI and robotics to automate production of food. Um, 
we're very confident in that. We see every day uh, what's going on in the lab. Uh, and so eventually, you know, the, uh, the, these uh, kitchen centers, uh, these virtual kitchen centers will have uh, uh, quite a bit uh, of technology in the kitchens themselves producing the food. Great, thank you. I don't know, Michael, do you share the same, the same thoughts or what, what would be your thoughts? No, I, I do agree. I, I think it's interesting, you know, listening to John describe how they do their business, even though it sounded like it's a real, he, they started out having a real estate business. The technology is so important and it's so integrated that I, I really don't see what they're doing as anything different than what we're doing really as a kitchen, as a service, where we're actually doing the whole thing um, for the client. Um, in their case, they're packaging, you know, these, these tool sets and combining it with the, with the real estate. I think, I think the importance is really, you know, data on some levels, being able to optimize things and, you know, being able to, you can't improve things that you can't track or, or, or measure. And so we think, you know, having a, a full service approach makes a lot of sense because many times the restaurants, they can handle one or two locations, but if you try and scale up to four or five, 20 locations, it becomes difficult. They don't necessarily have the management skills to do it. So you either give them a very integrated solution like is what, like it sounds that John is doing, or you basically just take over the operation for for them, which is more of a Katopi model and more of the model that we're we're using with Mimic. So we, we like having that level of control, the level of integration. As John pointed out, there's so many different handoffs and and, and touch points from the supply chain to um, you know how the orders come in and are handed off to the to the cooking staff, and then how those those orders get transferred to to the logistics players in, in an efficient way. So. It's, you know, the more integration, the better and, and using data to understand the business and to, and to be able to optimize it. And of course, applying technology to, to enhance that is, is what we see as the way to go. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Michael, so much for, 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 for your comment. And I mean, uh, going back to, to the pain points that uh, this new industry is addressing, we, we obviously see uh, the delivery cost uh, one of the main drivers of these new business models. And I mean, let's say the delivery platforms are taking around 15 to 30% commission on the restaurants per order. So, I mean, Sami Inketopi, how are you addressing these challenges to solve the delivery, last mile delivery cost? And how are you, uh, what, what is your view on the reduction of, 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 this, uh, of this problem? Uh, thank you. Thanks. Uh, very good question. So across our markets, we, uh, we work with uh, tens of aggregators and delivery platforms, right? So we're aggregate agnostic, delivery platform agnostic. And uh, uh, through a few, uh, I mean, through a few details, we have strong relationships with all of them, right? So we, we collaborate well and we have uh, actually also, we, we play a big role into solving their own problems. Right, so because of that and because of our scale, we're able to have a good uh, uh, collaboration and a good, uh, uh, a good partnership that makes both parties profitable. Right? So we actively collaborate with them to enhance the full customer experience. Right? So we're, uh, for example, giving transparency on really when the food will be ready and delivered. Uh, but also on the profitability of these aggregators where through us now they can have uh, through the single point um, of a single pickup point nature of our business, they can also be be more profitable. So, so overall, this uh, this has been uh, this this pain point has been reduced through this collaboration. But also, Kitopi has multiple verticals, right? So we work with aggregators, but also we have multiple other verticals like meal plans, uh, catering, where some of the delivery is done uh, through us. Right? We're either with third party delivery 
businesses or and overall the aggregation of all of this is uh, is making it uh, a good outcome for us overall. great no that's 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 terrific thank you thank you for your thank you for your answer uh, sami so obviously as we were discussing before automation technology it's a key part in this industry so we have seen robotic arms such as kuka that do manufacturing things we have seen today cashless payments we see autonomous cars what's kind of the limit in terms of robot automatization in the kitchen do you see for instance at some point in time robots preparing the food i don't know maybe we can start uh, john if you have any additional thoughts about automation and robots preparing food in the future yeah so we we've made a huge bet on this um we uh we've invested uh in heavily in miso robotics and um Actually, yesterday we announced, Miso announced a, uh, uh, a partnership with sort of the first national chain to adopt uh, our robot, which is called Flippy, uh, for full automation of the Fry Station, um, and that's uh, White Castle. Uh, so we, you know, I, I get to see this in the lab every day. Uh, it's really hard, uh, super complicated technology. The problems are really hard, um, but we, we do believe uh, this is going to happen. It's going to take time. Um, we will see uh, full automation of the fry station first, where, like you saw in the video yesterday, the robot can pick up the basket um, when it gets an order from the POS. It can put it under the hopper. The hopper dispenses the frozen product. The robot picks up the basket, cooks the fries, and takes it off the uh, fry station. And um, uh, over time, we'll move into uh, full automation of the grill station. And eventually, um, we see robots doing uh, everything from prep work um uh to uh you know lots of different cooking so um so it, it it will happen uh we're totally convinced it'll happen um and it's just going to take uh take a fair amount of time and a lot of capital great thank you thank you for 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 your answer john i mean sammy do you operate a, a, a kitchen as a service company are you using robots today or how do you see the future in terms of automation in the kitchen Sure, no, I, I completely agree with, uh, with John on what he said. I mean, automation robotics will be a key component of, uh, of winning in this industry. Uh, so today, yes, you have a lot of, uh, lot, of, lot of companies, startups creating robots for kitchens. Like, for example, robotic arms to, to do your own salad or pokeballs or a lot of the examples that John gave. Um, and we've had, at Utopia, we've had many discussions with such uh, companies in terms of collaboration. And it, it will solve a big problem in the future. I think today they're not... We're not at a stage where this can, these solutions can uh, have the right returns, right? the right, the right uh, efficiency to become mainstream, but it will come in the future. I mean, in the meantime, today, if you go to our latest kitchen, yes, I mean, again, technology automation plays a big role. You have, uh, uh, I think John mentioned also, we have the same, our latest kitchen, it's all conveyor belts, scanners, touch screens, every step of the way so that, uh, and, and without this, I don't think you can operate a cloud kitchen Without that and the technology behind it, right? The whole operating system behind it cannot uh, operate a cloud kitchen at a, in a profitable way, but also more importantly, uh, delivering quality, speed uh, uh, products uh, for the consumer. Great. Obviously, uh, technology is one of the key drivers, as you have mentioned, uh, in, in all this um, industry. So uh, going deep into the, the tech stack, uh, I don't know if you can help us, Michael, to, to understand in what, what technical developments do you think are uh, taking relevant 
relevance in, in, in this industry? In which others do you think that should be applied or that have to be implemented uh, like more, uh, more quicker or quicker, sorry? So I, I think, you know, in terms of where we can, when we think about technology, we really think about it not for tech's sake, but really where can we drive um, you know, efficiencies in the business, where can we drive transparency in terms of data? Um, there's multiple handoff points that happen in, in this business. So, you know, from the incoming order, whether that's coming directly to the, to the cloud kitchen or if it's coming through an aggregator, how do those flow into, into a system that has a simple UI? I think one of the things with, with tech is it's easy to like create complexity. And the point of having tech is to create, you know, simplicity, to, to, to streamline processes and make it easy for sometimes workers that you know are doing a lot of things simultaneously to have a user interface that makes it easy to see exactly where they are, what they should be doing. And then once the order comes in, it gets handed off in, in, in a structured way. And then once the product is ready, it gets handed into the logistics players instead of keeping you know the multiple boys as we have here in Brazil waiting for 10, 15 minutes, they know exactly when their order is, is ready and, and when they can pick up. So it's really about driving efficiencies across the, the touch points in, in the business. So there's a lot of opportunities to, to do that. I think sometimes the cloud kitchens will have better data than you know any other player in the chain, both from incoming, seeing what where the demand generation is coming from, the times that it's being generated, when they're having peaks, how to manage with those peaks, how to even optimize the handoff and the, and, and the logistics part. Um, so it's really, as I had mentioned before about capturing data, you generate a lot of data, but if you don't capture it, if you don't structure it and organize it and, and draw insights from it, it's not very valuable. So tech is really for us being able to create optimization. And at the end of the day, that's a, a data-driven uh, process. Thank you, Michael. So in that same sense, uh, Sammy, I don't know if you can help us to understand with all these big changes happening here in the technology, the data generator has become the key to take any business decisions. How relevant is this topic and how do you use this data for the business? Yeah, so Michael alluded to, to it well. So honestly, we're, we're operating in the part of the value chain with a very good amount of data, right? So you have data that starts from the sourcing and ingredients data to a lot of operational data in the kitchen and from our partners data, right? So, and also uh, customer research uh, data, right? So marketing analytics data. All of this uh, data is... Um, uh, for us is a key component of us uh, uh, making decisions and operating our kitchens efficiently. I mean, for sure what this does, all of this data keeps our uh, analytics team very, uh, very busy uh, and uh, creating tons of value in, in our operations across the whole building blocks of, uh, of our operations, but also creating value for our partners, whether it's the aggregators or the brands. Great, thank you. Thank you, Sami, Sami, for your answer. So, I mean, I want to turn the conversation more into the investment side of, of this vertical. I mean, obviously we see uh, and we understand that this, this whole industry is one of the hottest one uh, right now in, in, the, in the VC space. And right now we have seen a couple of mega, mega rounds in this space, such as the one of Reef Technologies or, or Cloud Kitchens a couple of years ago. So, I mean, Michael and John, you, you both have investments in, in this space. How do you see, what's your vision, what, what's your thoughts in, in, in the investment side of, of, of the Ghost Kitchen Vertical? How, how do you think it will, it will develop in, in the next a couple of months and in the next couple of weeks and years? Well, um, we, the, the, uh, there, this is a, 
um, what would I say, describe it? it? It requires a lot of capital, right? So uh, building these kitchen centers like Kitchen United is doing requires a fair amount of capital. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a, uh, a trend that's not going to change. And so capital will flow into setting up this infrastructure. So I do expect to see, actually, there will be, uh, for a fact, uh, pretty big financings, uh, I think, uh, in, the, in the near future to continue to grow this whole, um, this whole system for, for off-premise food, the, the technology, the uh, real estate infrastructure, um, uh, the entire thing. But I, I would agree with John. It's, it's interesting because if you think about the, the infrastructure side of things, it's, it's a little easier to measure the, the unit economics. So even though it's capital intensive, you know if you're running a profitable business or not. If you think about the aggregation demand side, um, we, we, we like to joke, you know, that there's, the diff there's different business models in venture capital. There's B2C, business to consumer, B2B, and then what we call VC to C, venture capital to consumer, which is basically subsidizing the consumer in order to buy attention to, and, and to create demand. And we've seen that that's been happening a lot on the aggregator side. So that's a more difficult model if you, if you think about it, because it's sort of they're playing in a winner takes all type of space. And, uh, and they're having to subsidize the business. And, you know, on the, on the infrastructure side, I think it's a little more, you, you can see what the business unit economics are. And as the businesses are successful, there's going to be capital to scale, scale those out. So we think there's uh, going to be a lot of demand. We're moving from some of the earlier stages. We'll probably see some, um, ag you know, some, not integration, but just consolidation in, in, in the sector. We'll see some business models emerge more strongly than others. And then we'll see, you know, maybe some of the vertical integration uh, happening in, in the next few years. And that will all be driven by capital and have capital, you know, driving it. Great. No, thank you. That's, that's absolutely right. I mean, obviously, we need capital, you know, to grow and keep on building new kitchens, having access to customers. But today, a very important issue is sanitation and the cleanliness of the different kitchens. So in the post-COVID times, how will you secure the confidence of the clients in order to continue ordering from ghost kitchens? And also, Sami, if you can explain and, and let the people know what type of protocols are you taking or are you expecting to implement in order to be, let's say, post-COVID compliance in terms of sanitation and health issues? Thanks, it's a very, very important topic. Uh, on this on this specific topic for us the journey started from the get-go obviously before COVID, right with the health and safety of our people and uh, and consumers as a as a top priority so from the get-go we ensured the highest uh, standards of cleanliness uh, and safety in our kitchens um, i mean and from wearing the ppes for hygiene on a daily basis but also getting all our kitchens iso uh, and hisap uh, certified right so that is that is a key KPI for our QC team. Um, now with COVID, obviously just, uh, we went above and beyond this uh, with extra hygiene measures every step of the way, right? From the, from the point ingredients come into the kitchen to the point where uh, the food is delivered to the consumer. And we worked with our partners, again, brands and aggregators to ensure that this is, uh, this is uh, seamless, right? Um, uh, uh, like these, these hygiene measures, if you want, in, in our kitchens, I mean, Look, today you have all our kitchens are equipped with uh, cameras with face recognition capability. 
and we use uh, AI technology and software to actually keep reminding our colleagues in the kitchen to, uh, about these standards, right? Including washing their hands every 20 minutes, uh, changing gloves regularly, always wearing face masks. And, uh, and uh, these measures are not gonna stop, right? the COVID or not COVID at this stage, hopefully we get, uh, we get through this uh, quickly, but even after COVID, these measures will remain in all our kitchens and part of our plans in the future. Okay, great. No, that's a, a, that's a very relevant point. So obviously today we have pre-cooked dishes, we have packaged food, we have boxes for cooking yourself, and they have become very relevant in the meal delivery industry. How will, how will the ghost kitchen market evolve in the post-COVID area? How do you see your business in the next few years? Do you see any complementary or new business models apply? Maybe that's a question for all of you. Maybe we can start with you, John. Um, I think so. Uh, new business models. Um, you know, I, I suppose that the most interesting one is going to be um, if someone can figure out how to create a brand that's purely virtual, right? So uh, I don't, as far as I know, uh, that has not yet been demonstrated at scale yet. The ability to create a new concept without a brick and mortar store, uh, build that brand, build the menu, the food products, figure out how to sell that concept online channels only for delivery and, and takeout only um, in a way that can then be scaled to, you know, hundreds of different locations uh, through uh, virtual kitchen centers. So, um, that would be really interesting uh, to, to, to see if, if that, you know, a viable business model around a purely uh, virtual concept without any brick and mortar uh, stores can, uh, can be proven out for scale. Well, thank you. Maybe, Michael, do you, do you have any thoughts around new business models and new things going on in the future? Yeah, I think our, our core model will be, will be driving the bulk of the business for a while, but there's always going to be opportunities um, for, for, to do new things. So, for instance, during COVID now, um, we, we started doing alcohol deliveries and that's, you know, that's beverage and alcohol specifically has been very high. So it's, you're already, one of the things to keep in mind is that you can expand and do some other things. Um, product discovery, for instance, you can obviously, you can partner with people who are trying to get a new product in front of, of, of consumers. And since you know the profile of, of, of some of these consumers and types of food they, they like, you might be able to, you know, include a, a free snack which is just coming to market, you know, as a, as, a, as a testing product. We don't see those as core to our business, but they're things that I think are fun. They can help, um, you know, create a good, good user experience. And, and in the case of the, the beverages, it's, it's, it's been significant from a business bottom line as well. Great. Thank you, Michael. Tommy, your thoughts? Yeah, so, um, so definitely uh, COVID instigated uh, growth in some adjacent verticals. Um, like the ones you mentioned, and uh, if if I uh, if I look uh, look into Kitopia, so what what we do? I mean, again, we have our suppliers, our warehouse, our kitchens. So um, we what what we've done even before is this, uh, like leverage this established supply chain, right? So to launch and grow such vert verticals. So we have, as I mentioned before, a growing meal plan and catering business, uh, leveraging this full platform. But we also launched groceries in April with. Uh, with exciting, uh, some of exciting um, differentiation to typical uh, e-groceries. 
um, given our supply chain. And you can find this actually on uh, shopkitopi.com and definitely also Milkits. Um, and in the future, we'll keep looking into ways to leverage the supply chain for new growth uh, and, uh, and for new growth, uh, just uh, following what, how the consumer evolves and the preferences that's, again, a lot of it is instigated. I was instigated and accelerated by COVID, but it was going to happen for me anyway, right? So there's not a, it's not really a COVID, uh, whether it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's only accelerated it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, COVID accelerated everything. Most of the people, as we as we see in the first pool, are using delivery platforms. A lot of people are cautious in terms of the quality of the food, the preparation, and also the delivery. And and we'll see in terms of the future uh, what what are the thoughts about the people in terms of consuming uh, in these platforms in the future. Thank you, Hector. Now, this first question is from Gustav Macon. For John, what makes the robotic implementation in the kitchens hard? What makes it hard? Uh, well, you know, these uh, food is is hard to manipulate, right? Because the, the objects are soft. It's not like uh, a factory where just picking up like a a component for a car and and uh, you know in the same place every time and moving it to another place. Um, you know, there's a lot of dynamic things going on in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, we have to train the AI to be able to respond to uh, different circumstances, uh, depending on what's going on in the kitchen. So, um, you know, we've started at MISO with the, uh, with what we think is the simplest thing to do, which is, um, you know, focuses really on the fry station and uh, automating production of fried products, um, where, you know, we're picking up a basket that's empty, we're putting it under a hopper that's dispensing the right fried product and then uh, cooking over the fryer, um, you know, the, the, the things that will get more hard uh, over time uh, would be things like uh, chopping vegetables or, uh, you know, other things where you're actually uh, manipulating an object and, and doing uh, something really complex on that object. And there's some things that will probably never be automated or uh, will never have the ability to fully automate that just requires uh, the human hands to, uh, to do. Um, but I think there's a lot, you know, we think there's a lot of stuff that can be automated. Great. No, thank you. Thank you for thank you for that answer. So as we can see, I mean, most of you guys they will either maintain or increase your consumption, and that's 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 the result of the new times of the COVID and the new area about automatization, digital technologies, and e-commerce. So Anna, why don't we go for the next question? Uh, next question is for for Sami. So it's from Aaron Cohen. So he asked about why build new kitchens when there are thousands of underutilized kitchens? That's actually a very good question. So uh, uh, the reality is, yes, there are a lot of underutilized kitchen. Uh, and this is, again, for the last 10 years, the kitchen, kitchen industry, the restaurants industry is, uh, is, is uh, so delivery is increasing on uh, of the restaurant industry. So what's um, the reality, if, if you think about uh, Kitopi, how did we grow so far, right? Today we have, uh, let's say, 40 kitchens. A lot of these kitchens actually were some of our brands that came on our platform. This is their kitchens that we're using, right? So we, we took over some of these kitchens, transformed them, uh, invested a little bit in them to make them uh, uh, Kitopi kitchens, and we're using these kitchens. Now, having said that, um, 
if you uh, if a cloud kitchen wants to really have operation excellence, leverage technology to the to the furthest possible, uh, and uh, and uh, achieve the real again, I go back to consistent quality food. Uh, there are technology design processes requirements that. Uh, make us uh, say that, no, for, for us, the real way to, uh, to grow is to actually set up our own kitchens where our technology processes are not Having said that, we always look at such opportunities to, uh, to leverage existing kitchens as long as we can do the right modifications that serve our operating, operating model. Okay, thank you, Sami. The next question, maybe, Michael, you, you can give us your thoughts on that. Uh, so, what, what are your thoughts on the role of IP in the tech transformation of restaurants? So, in, I guess that would be, you know, going more into what John is saying, you know, there's the robotic side, there's, you know, automated, IoT is really about, you know, measuring data and, and, and creating data and, and devices that are generating lots of continuous streams of data. And, and so the challenge is, you know, how do you capture that data? How do you, how do you create, you know, valuable learnings and, and information from it? Um, personally, I'm not an expert in the in the kitchen tech side in terms of where we would see probably most of IoT applied. So I might defer to, to John on that. He might know a little bit more about that. But basically, it's about you know data enabling as many devices as you can, and then being able to like capture and uh, and utilize that data efficiently. Great, thank you. Uh, the next question is from Camilo. How can an online restaurant generate brand awareness without previously having a physical presence? I believe, Sammy, you, you may be the best to, to answer this one. Yeah, no, happy to. So uh, if you look at our uh, restaurant uh, partners, brand, uh, uh, partners, we have, I mean, more than 100 partners on our platform. And some of them are established restaurants. Some of them are local strong restaurants uh, or global, global chains, right? So we have the whole spectrum. And we have a spectrum of virtual brands that were launched uh, after Kitopi came to life, right? So um, I must tell you, though, that, I mean, again, it depends a lot on the, on the entrepreneur, but we have entrepreneurs who launch brands who are doing amazingly well uh, on the platform. So they invest in the, in the you know, uh, in the equity of their brands through, through online channels, using influencers, using uh, very specific... Uh, in uh, marketing moves that, that work well for these, for these brands. So uh, we have a, a couple of brands that are actually also not, I mean, they are fully virtual brands and they're actually on a fundraising journey and they raise seed and series A, which tells you how successful they were, they were in actually building these brands. Thank you, thank you, Sammy. So about, um the human fallacy uh, that is always creepy when, I mean, you, you were talking about automation and all the processes automated, but also we, we can take, we, we, we can look to the customer service. It's always creepy that a robot attempts you. So how are you going to combine both things, having this uh, like attention with, with human uh, with humans or real people <laughs> giving customer service, and also uh, having efficiency with with robots attending customers. 
So I don't know if there is any equilibrium or something that you that you are thinking or you are currently implementing to have both things. Um, I don't know if, if you can tell tell us a uh, John or, or Sammy. Yeah, so the um okay, so in the virtual kitchen scenario, uh, there's not a lot of human to human interaction, right? Because the food is made in a facility, it's put in a car and it's delivered to someone's home. And here in Los Angeles, it's dropped off at your door. And then before you even answer the door, the driver is in his car and leaves, right? So it's contact free. So, um, but in, in the brick and mortar scenario, uh, the way, if you look at like what the White Castle CEO said yesterday on CNBC and, you know, sort of the way we're deploying this technology with our restaurant partners is that if you can automate tasks in the kitchen, so if you can free up a person uh, to not have to do the laborious work on the fry station, which is not fun, right? It's hot and it's greasy and it's, it's hard work. That person can then spend more time interacting with guests in the dining room, right? So uh, actually our view is that um, when you put in robotics in the kitchen, people have more time to spend uh, on customer service. And actually what we found is that in the restaurants where we've automated the staff is happier because they don't necessarily like doing those jobs in the kitchen, but they do like doing other things like interacting with people. So the staff is smiling, they're happier. Uh, the hard work is being done by uh, machines in the kitchen and uh, guests get better customer service. Uh, so I think one of the, the benefits of automating the back of the house will be um, better customer experience interaction in the front of the house. Okay, great. So, so Michael, can you uh, give us your opinion and perhaps some recommendations for, for in terms of uh, investing in this space, either for, bo for both ways, either for, for entrepreneurs, uh, for founders and for investors, what recommendations would you give them? I think right now, you know, as I had mentioned, that if you take, you sort of decompose or break down the, 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 the value chain, you know, you have the aggregation. I think aggregation demand generation is an area that's ripe for, for disruption. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's really not the logistics of the delivery that's expensive. It's just the margins for the aggregators, right? So um, people who are able to create a more efficient channel um, and, and create demand and aggregate demand in, in an efficient way and with slightly lower margins, I think, you know, there's, there's always going to be demand for that. I, I like the idea too of using the platform similar to um, what, what Sammy was saying, these entrepreneurs who are building new brands on, on top of these established platforms. I think that's super exciting. You know, I live in Brazil. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm from the US and so I miss some foods. We don't, we don't get Ethiopian food here. We don't get Malaysian food. The Thai food is okay, but not great. We have great Korean, we have great Japanese, but you know, some of the, some of these other foods are, are more difficult. So I would love to see some entrepreneurs bringing uh, some of these to market, especially here in, in Latin America. Great, no, it's, it's gonna be great just to be in Sao Paulo, Yossi, having, having dinner with you at some point, uh, Michael. <laughs> but, so, we'll go to our cloud to, kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so what, would, what, would you, what are your, you know, your concluding thoughts? What would you say, uh, you know, it's your final uh, recommendation for the people? Maybe we can start with you, Sammy. Uh, what are your final thoughts? Well, so final thoughts, since we're talking about uh, brands and entrepreneurs, and uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know uh, the audience that we have here. What is, what are they geared more for? But uh, 
But I tell you, in anything, uh, in anything uh, you do, whether it's in this industry, whether it's on the kitchen side or brand side, um, I will go back to uh, saying, I mean, just have just like a lot of energy, passion into, uh, into uh, what you're doing. Leverage the trends fully. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is an industry that's really evolving. Every day you see announcements. If you, I mean, if you Google Cloud Kitchen, every single day you have a different news of a different type. So keep following the trends, see what are the white spots where you can uh, fill in and, uh, and let's, uh, let's uh, and focus on uh, unit economics from, from the get-go. I think uh, uh, there was some talk here about VC funding consumer. So this is not disappearing. Yes, you have always venture capital funds uh, to drive your business, uh, but today more than any time before unit economics uh, matter and they matter much earlier than before so that is my one advice as we as I close this thank you sami john you know i think uh the, the the this is you know the the restaurant industry is uh is changing um so fast right just completely changing with um the growth of delivery all this off-premise stuff and then um i think uh you know all these uh, labor pressures here, at least in the United States, uh, with turnover and, and minimum wage. And so uh, at the same time, there's all these new technologies that are coming online with AI and computer vision and robotics. And so I do think uh, this is going to, we're going to see this convergence of these new technologies for the physical world and the changes taking place in consumer demand on the food side. It's going to result in, uh, you know, a, a, a faster and, and more, uh, uh, a, a, a bigger change in the restaurant industry than we've ever seen before. And so uh, I think we should just all be ready to, uh, to, to be part of that change and, and take advantage of the opportunities uh, that, it, uh, that it brings. Great. Thank you, John. Michael, your final thoughts, please. I would just say that it's a super exciting time to be in and around food and, and food tech. Um, even before COVID, there was so much going on and uh, business model innovation and, and driving, you know, ease of use and ease of access. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see um, these trends being able to have positive effects in, in terms of like how people eat and the types of foods they have access to and, and food choice and, uh, and sustainability issues and, and, and things like that. So I would just say it's, it's very dynamic, very exciting. Uh, I think there's room to innovate and, and to create uh, value in almost all parts of the, of, of the, the chain. Um, and so it's really just a matter of, of looking and studying and, uh, and, and taking some risks. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I really wish we could have more time. Thank you, thank you very much, Sami, for being available today, John and Michael. It's been a pleasure to, to have you this, this afternoon. Obviously, thank you to our allies, the Agade Innova, IBCA, GAN, Generation S, Global Corporate Venturing, uh, LAPCA, MEET, and BC Academy. Uh, please do follow us in LinkedIn. Please review our articles in Medium. And we'll be, we would be more than happy to speak with any of you, startups, BC funds, family offices. So thank you very much, everyone. 